How many of you have ever watched a tennis match on television? Okay, handful. Um, for, for reasons that I do not fully understand, I have this recollection from my childhood of watching a tennis match on television, and what sticks in my mind was not the action on the court, it was the action in the stands. And I just I, I can still remember watching this tennis match, and, it, and everybody in unison did this. And, I, and for some reason, the camera just was watching the crowd, and, and that's what, that's all you saw, was everybody together just doing that. <laughs> um, we're in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a series of head-turners. <laughs> it's, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's, it's not what you would expect, and time after time, we find ourselves just, really? <laughs> really? Um, we've been in Matthew chapter 5 for a couple of weeks, took a, break, uh, took a week break for Easter, but uh, first several verses of Matthew chapter 5 are what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the first audience, as Chris helped us see last week, the first audience would have reacted to the first half of each of those statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, they were poor in spirit. They understood being helpless. They got that. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who have much to grieve. They were there. Blessed are the persecuted. They, they completely related to the second half of all of those statements. The head turner for them was blessed? Really? Doesn't feel blessed. In fact, we're not told that it's blessed. Um, they, they would have understood from the religious leaders of their day that um, if you live right, God takes care of you. If something's going wrong, there's something wrong with you. And like a lot of things, there's, there's a piece of truth in there. We, we're better off living according to God's plans than not. And in the end, God's a God of justice, and he does eventually set things right. But how many times have you asked or heard somebody ask, why do bad things happen to good people? We ask that question all the time. It's challenging the wisdom that was the wisdom of their day. It's understandable how we get there, but you want to be careful when you find yourself there. Because it's a very short road to this. God, I have done all this stuff for you, and you owe me. That's kind of what's behind that question. It's not what we're thinking. But it's, you know, I, I've done a lot for you. You owe me more than that. Jesus said, blessed are you. When you're utterly helpless, poor in spirit, when you're, when you're mourning, when you're being real, when you're showing what's really going on. Because um, you've got great company, in essence, he was saying, right here in me, Jesus. Not me, Jesus. 
So for them, the first audience, um, their head turner was on the blessed part. For, for us in the land of the free and the home of the brave, <laughs> I think uh, our head turner is the second part of all of those statements. Um, I think we kind of have an expectation that we're going to be blessed. Um, we have an expectation. I mean, we've just kind of come, we're used to being in positions of control and, and power, and it feels out of kilter when we aren't a little bit. But blessed are you when you're completely helpless? That doesn't sound blessed. Blessed are you when, when you have nothing to do but just to mourn either over your broken condition yourself or something that somebody has done to you? That doesn't seem right at all. Persecuted as blessed? Something seems to be really out of kilter there. The whole point of the first part of this sermon is to bring us, for our audience, to an end of our self-reliance. Um, it's just so easy to rely on yourself, and it's, it's, it's good, God, I got this. No problem, we can, we can make it from here, we're good, I'll check in if I need something. And, uh, and it's like, no, blessed are you when you realize that without a Savior, you're in a world of hurt. When we think we don't need God is when we're the most desperate. So I think how we hear these whole statements is uh, going to have a lot to say about whether we hear them as good news or bad news. Um, it's, it's actually pretty bad news if, if we think we have really no need of a Savior. But it's pretty good news when we recognize that we really, really do. So that's the first whole series of head turners in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, tonight we're going to look at the next four verses, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, and uh, we're going to find two more head turners in here. So I'm going to read it for you, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I think you could sum that up in two words. Be influential. Salt has influence. We're called to be influential. In fact, it's not just called, it's critical, he said. If salt loses its saltiness, there's a big problem, he said. In for Tucson, we, uh, we use that verse when we're talking about our core values um, as an organization. Integrity is one of them. Um, we're called to have integrity. We're called to be an influence. When we start to reflect the culture instead of affect the culture, when we look just like everything around us, that's a problem for the culture and for us. Jesus is saying in this passage, it is contrary to our nature as Christ followers 
to not be influential. We'll unpack that in just a second. So why is that a head-turner? Well, for the first audience, they didn't think they could. And for us, I'm not sure we think we should. For them, they controlled nothing. They couldn't imagine that they were being told that you're influential. And you might have noticed this. It's not a command like, hey, guys, be influential. It was stated as a fact. You are the salt of the earth. I think they would have done what? You, right now, here, following in my presence, you are the light of the world. (laughs) Um, I think for us, if we really get the first part, uh, blessed are you when you recognize that apart from me you can't do anything. Blessed are you when you come to the end of your self-reliance. Blessed are you when you start to actually be real. All of the things that are in those first statements. I think when we get there, the temptation is to think that what that means then is that we should just be passive. We're in a position of receiving. And that's true. We are in a position of receiving. It's just that it doesn't stop there. So I think a lot of times in the Christian community, we, if we get the whole we need a savior part, we assume that that means that, like, if, you, if you've got a desire to be influential, if you've got a desire to make a difference, that, that can almost be looked on as a bad thing. So I think we probably need to hear it more as a command than as a statement. And I've got plenty of examples, but I'll just use one since it's an election year. Yes, we're treading on dangerous territory. Um, Do you know that only half of the self-identified evangelical community is even registered to vote? And only half of those who do actually go to the polls? In, In our culture, that is the most basic way to be influential. And 75% of people who claim to be Christ followers opt out from the get-go. I think we need to hear it as be influential. Um, I think we're in a culture, generally speaking, that loves influence. It shows up in so many ways. Advertising, when I was in Africa, um, the thing that struck me was the absence of advertising. It was so refreshing. All of advertising is about influence. Entertainment, influence. Politics, influence. It, we're, we're surrounded by influence. So when, we're, when we understand that this is a countercultural call to follow Christ, it's easy to assume that means don't have influence. But see, the examples that Jesus chose, salt and light, those are influential examples. Salt. Um, The first role of salt in that culture was, of course, to preserve. It was a preservative. Without salt, things spoil. 
without salt, it gets rotten fast. In an era before refrigeration, which you know, for our kids would be like an era without cell phones. Who can imagine such a thing? <laughs> before refrigeration, salt was critical. If salt wasn't available, there was problem. Of course, the other thing that salt does is that it flavors. It brings out the natural flavor. It's remarkable, really, if you think about what that compound actually does. It brings out the natural flavor of whatever it touches. Same substance does totally different things depending on what it's touching. It's really quite remarkable. Salt in the salt shaker accomplishes nothing. It has to touch its surroundings. That's inherent to what salt is. Light. First thing Jesus said after, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. A city on a hill is a picture. I know several churches that that's their name of their church, city on a hill. It, it paints a picture of something that's desirable, something that's noticeable, something that's influential. He says, you don't put a light under a box. If you grew up in church, probably, good chance, one of the very first little songs you learned in Sunday school, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know all the verses? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. We, we, it's, this is part of what it means to follow Christ. But just like salt, light only works if it's touching what it's illuminating. A light in the next room with the door closed doesn't help us at all. It needs to touch whatever it's supposed to illuminate. Be influential, Jesus is saying. But here's, here's the last head turner that we'll look at for today. Be influential without drawing attention to yourself. Huh? <laughs> what happens if salt is drawing attention to itself? You, you forgot that somebody unscrewed the top of the salt shaker, and you pour it, and, it's all, and all you taste is salt. Is that a good thing? That's a bad thing. Too much salt, if you taste the salt, you use too much. <laughs> It's not supposed to draw attention to itself. It's all about what it's touching. It's late at night, you go into a room, you flip the light switch. What do you do? You stare at the light bulb. No, you don't. <laughs> You're not supposed to look at the light bulb. The light bulb is to help you see what's there. <laughs> the nature of both of those examples is completely focused externally. Be influential. Don't draw attention to yourself. Be influential. It's not about you. It is just this head-scratching type of statement that Jesus just loves to make. <laughs> How do you be influential without drawing attention to yourself? Um, when I was uh, pastoring on the west side of, of town, there was this young man uh, had a 
fascinating background. His father was um, largely culturally Jewish, um, practiced a little bit, but not very much. His mom was largely culturally Lutheran. You can be culturally Lutheran, in case you didn't know. Um, <coughs> and uh, so, so they, uh, when, when he hit junior high, they agreed as a married couple that he would go through bar mitzvah, which he did, and then Lutheran confirmation, which he did. <laughs> so he did both of them. Well, a year or two later, he, he met Jesus in an unbelievable way. And he knew that he was called to be a leader, called to have influence. Um, he got that part really, really well. He's, he's got leadership capabilities like almost nobody that I've ever met. The maturity took a while to catch up. So I can't tell you how many meetings we had in our church about this particular young man. Can we live long enough to see him mature, to catch up to the leadership influence that he has? But, oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, he's the first person that I remember. I mean, his whole life was completely sold out for his rabbi, savior, messiah. And he's the first one I remember with this T-shirt that I've never forgotten. It, on the front of it, it says, Be the Moon. And on the back, it says, Reflect the Sun. <clears throat> That's Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before others that they see the good works that you do, but they don't give glory to you. They give glory to the Father in heaven. It's not our light. <laughs> We're reflecting his light. It's not ours. If what we're doing is drawing attention to ourselves, something is amiss. It's intended to reflect the sun. We're just the moon. So how practically do you do that? What does that look like? Well, I won't in, in even hint that this is an exhaustive list, but coming out of the scriptures and coming out of the sermon itself, I think there's at least four things that can help us, and, and we're going to try to be as practical as you can. Here's the first one. Um, how to be influential without drawing attention to yourself? Well, first off, don't isolate these four verses from its context. The Sermon on the Mount didn't start with, you're the salt of the earth. That came after all the rest. So we got to start where Jesus started, which is a massive statement on humility. That's where it starts. I've shared here before, um, my, the clearest definition that I've heard of humility is it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, less often. It's not about us. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of ourself less. It's not about us. <laughs> I, I love the fact um, that last week and this week, Derek, you, you got up and, and shared what you did about this upcoming class on purity. That's what this is talking about. It's not about us. It's, it's a, an, a being real and being vulnerable and saying, blessed. Jesus said, blessed are the broken because they've experienced his healing. He said, I didn't come for those who don't think they need a doctor. I came for those who recognize that they do. So when we can be real, that's, that's the start. It's not about us. 
Um, there's been a lot written on the change in cultures and so forth and generations and the, the transition from, po- uh, from modernity to post-modernity. And one of the things that I think is the most helpful is that in previous generations, the question that was asked was, is it true? Is it true? And so when we're talking about Christianity, older generations, a lot of where we start tends to be on apologetics, why we believe what we believe. But a lot of folks today, that's not the question they're asking. They're not asking, is it true? They're asking, is it real? Is it authentic? Um, We need both, of course. I'm not arguing one over the other. But authenticity is huge. Teenagers can sniff out the lack of it in about that long. So don't isolate these verses on influence from the context. Uh, Second one, don't isolate from others and do it solo. The word is plural. He he wasn't saying, um, Val, you are the salt of the earth. Or or Colby, you're the light of the world. He's saying, you all are the salt of the earth. You all are the light of the world. When Jesus prayed that we would all be one, even as he is one, it's because collectively... When we do it, it's less about us and it's more about him. Individually, it can be more about us and less about him. Unity is actually one of the factors in all of this. Um, the, the greater our unity, the greater that grows in our, in our city, um, the more influence and the less it's about each of us. A lot of times we have this tendency to hang around people that we could probably be friends with even if it weren't for Jesus. Because we have a lot in common. That's not a bad thing. It's just not complete. It's not what Jesus prayed. When we're hanging around people that don't look like us, that don't have the same educational background that we do, that aren't from the same economic sphere or anything else, and when the world sees that and they say, what is going on there? Those folks don't look like they have anything in common. What is that love about? That's not just a bunch of nice people. That love has to be coming from someplace else. That light is not starting there. That light is starting someplace else. I need to find out about that. That's how powerful unity actually is. Um, I love this passage. I asked if I could share on this one. Because uh, this is our charter with, with the organization I'm a part of, for Tucson. It's... Can, can we see transformation happen in our city? Can we be salt and light together in our city? And so if you're not familiar with that, it's so encouraging. Um, there's a little table back there. We'll share a little bit more. If you are familiar, there's the new magazine. Grab one of those. Some of the things that are coming up are all about this. Be praying because our eighth pastor prayer summit is a week from Monday. And we'll have 50 to 60 pastors that don't look at all like each other. Praying for each other and praying for the city up on Mount Lemmon. That's been huge in changing the spiritual atmosphere in our city. Mike will be there, Chris will be there, I'll be there, several of us. Um, We've been saying for a long time about uh, can we see unity grow 
among congregational members at the same level that it is among pastors. And so there's things coming up about that as well. This United for Tucson that Chris talked about last week is going to be phenomenal when we talk about how our city was founded on the salt and light call of followers of Christ, and we get to share that story. But right in the middle of that evening, is going to, the, if, if there's going to be lasting power that comes out of that evening, it'll come in the middle part where we're humbling ourselves and saying, God, we have messed it up in a whole lot of ways. It's not about us. So don't isolate it from the context. Don't isolate from each other. Um, third, pray more. Um, I think desperation is marvelously helpful for a spirit of prayer. <clears throat> when, when we realize that we're desperate, we pray, right? When we don't realize that we're desperate is when we're more desperate. We just don't realize it. When we start the day with, got this, God, um, I'll check in if I need something. Uh, The train is about to come off the tracks. But it's not just the whole spirit of prayer that captures all of this. It's that, frankly, right now we have more opportunities to be salt and light in the city than we have people wanting to be that. Um, It is an unprecedented time in our city uh, because we're being asked to be salt and light And we're not ready to step into it to the degree that we're being asked. So prayer is, God, which open door should I go through? It's not, could you show me one? It's, um, here's 10, which one should I invest? Which one are you calling me to? He knows. We should probably ask him. And then the last one is serve more. It's about service. Service is such... We don't think of servants as the most influential people in the room. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And it'll be the same for you if you follow me. It's the best way to have influence. Just serve. How can I help? How can I pray for you? How can I help? It's not about me. You know a lot already. I loved what you said about Africa. We're not coming just just to, here's all the answers. How can we come alongside? That's what this is talking about. Sermon on the Mount is not hypothetical. Jesus is not like painting a picture of what life's going to be like in heaven. He means it to be practical for here. Remember right in the middle, and we'll get to this verse probably, what, about August? (laughs) Chapter 6. When we're talking about prayer, He said, here's how I want you to pray. Pray that his kingdom will come and his will be done in Tucson like it is in heaven. This is supposed to be practical. So if we ended a message on salt and light with no direct opportunity to be salt and light, that would just be heretical. So I'm so excited that I get the opportunity now to invite my friend, Israel Macias Reyes, who is principal at Project Moore. Project Moore is the alternative high school in TUSD. It's less than a mile from here. And um, we've had opportunity to to work with Iz and see. um, He has such an incredible heart for the students that he serves, and they have some significant needs. And so it's just a privilege to come alongside you is. And so would you join me in welcoming him? He's going to share a little bit of our opportunity.
first, I got to say, you guys can sing. They're like, whoa, look at that. Um, I'm a little nervous right now. It's not because of the crowd here. I'm just a little nervous about what I'm about to say next. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, maybe Dave's a little bit more nervous. He's like, why did I bring this guy? I don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> but it's kind of like, you ever saw the movie um, Up? You know, with the balloons and all that? And then they go over there, and then they, they find this dog. The dog has a collar, and it's like, it's like, I just met you, and you are my friend. I love you. <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> That's a little bit me. Um, squirrel. Um, my name is, is it's, it's, uh, it's Israel, Jacob Macias Reyes Hernandez Gomez. Um, when I was little, I used to think that Asusordenes was part of my last name. Because in, in Spanish, you would say your name, and then you would say Asusordenes. So I used to say Israel Jacob Macias Reyes Hernandez Gomez Asusordenes. And then I were going to school, I wrote it down, and it was like a paragraph long. <laughs> And it's like, oh, yes, I'm a Mexican kid. Okay. <laughs> um, after hearing David right here, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm kind of like uh, shocked because, yeah, I, I prayed, but it like, looks like um, my train wreck. I, I didn't know I was in such trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say this because... Um, I'm privileged and honored and humbled to, uh, to be the principal at Project More, but I'm also in charge of the DAPE program, and that is the District Alternative Education Program. And when I, I just, when I even just think of my students and think of uh, kids at Project More and the DAPE program, it's like, oh, it just, it's, it just eats me up. And that is because um, that program, the day program, we serve all the students that are long-term suspended. So that means in, the di in, um, in Tucson Unified School District, these are the kids who, for whatever reason, um, did, something, did something bad. Uh, they, they broke some guidelines. They did some things, whether it was an assault, whether it was drugs, whether it was something, it was something severe, something severe enough that got them out of school and got them out of school for 20, 30, or, or 40 days. Um, it's kind of significant. And so what we do is we provide services. We provide services for all these students instead of them being at home, being in the streets, or sometimes... If they did get arrested, um, the courts won't let them out unless they have somewhere to go or a school to go. And so we provide these services. Uh, but uh, but something that I've learned, you know, from from all these students and, and from what I see, what they have in common, some things are is like they're they're good at one thing, and one thing is kind of like to avoid humiliation at all costs. Um, they they have these coping mechanisms to be able to say is like you know what I'm hurting inside but right now I got this coping mechanism and if you try to tell me or tell me that I'm not wearing the most fashionable clothes right now then I'm gonna you know or if you try to tell me that I'm not smart enough good enough or anything like that then I'm going to do something that gets you kicked out of the classroom. You can have a round circle, and then you have one student here, one student there, four students, 
teacher says, okay, you're going to read the third paragraph. The student that is second one to read, guess what they're doing? Or excuse me, if they're calling on the first student, second student, the one that's on the third student about to read, they're practicing that third paragraph so when it's their turn, they're not going to be humiliated. But then the student on the second chair says, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And that kid's like, what? And they'd rather knock somebody out before be outed in front of the classroom that they can't read or they're, or they're slow or they're whatever. So I've learned, I learned early that, um, that there's some heavy trauma with all my kids that get suspended. There's just some heavy-duty issues that, that you know, kids from 6th grade to 12th grade go through, and sometimes their parents don't know or, or, or don't know how to help their own kids. And so uh, uh, myself, my staff, we try to, you know, try to help as best as we can um, uh, to provide those services. So um, it's a great deal of work. It's a lot of emotional labor, but when I met Dave and, and the Fort Tucson organization, and um, they were just been so generous um, with just even coming onto campus and saying, it's like, okay, well, here are, here are some things for your school. Um, as soon as I saw a case of Gatorade, I started crying. I'm like, oh, it's like, what's all this? Where is this coming from? Gatorade makes me cry? What? <laughs> what? Uh, but I guess it just, um, I guess it's that salt you're talking about, you know. Um, and then it makes me, oh, yeah, there's, there's good people in this town. Um, so thank you. Um, and I understand that some of you um, contributed. Um, I saw you, and I started crying. I'm like, oh, my God, this is an angel. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of you who... Who who donated um, some materials in our for for our store, which means that um, whenever whenever we're trying to get students motivated to do something, you know, whenever something is positive, giving some rewards to be able to say, hey, even though we got these, you know, um, um, these these goals, these little goals that will accumulate to bigger goals, then we're going to reward you with something. And these are just some of the most you know, fragile students in our community that haven't been used to giving praise, haven't been used to saying, it's like, okay, you're doing a good job. Um, and so, so for that, it's just made a huge difference, and, 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 and I want to I wanna thank you. Um, and, and that's the DATE program. Um, and I am also a teacher, excuse me, the principal at Project More Alternative High School, and in the high school is um, is I service all eleventh uh, and twelfth graders, um, and most of these students have dropped out of school for one reason or another, um, whether it is economic hardship, some kind of event, for whatever reason, they dropped out. But they went out and wanted something better, and they came back. So they came back to school. But um, they're, you know, the average age at our campus is about 18.23 years old. But sometimes they still act like sixth graders. <laughs> uh, they're struggling to be adults, you know, without, with, without having the skills of being, you know, a, an adult. Um, 
So as you're pondering, I guess, these points on what to do in our community or how to be that salt and that influence, if you ever wanted drama, comedy, romance, science fiction, all in one classroom, <laughs> come to either any of my programs or my high school itself. Um, it truly is a trip. Um, but but I guess I guess that's just the thing. Is like you can read their dossier, you can read the the the, the things that they did, and it's like, oh my goodness, this was horrible. But then when you meet the student and you sit down with them and you talk with them and you listen, then you start figuring out. It's like, oh, I get it, or oh, how come you're not angrier? Um, um, and so, like I said, if you wanted, if you wanted to sprinkle some salt, um, uh, I, I welcome you, you know, to, um, you know, to come by, um, even hang out and just check it out, volunteer if you'd like to. Um, I got several other programs. I'm also in charge of the Core Plus program where I take all the sixth graders throughout the city that have like second, third grade math and reading levels in two locations in Tucson. So whether you want to work with sixth graders to 12th graders or the misunderstood energetic child, um, I got plenty of those. But what I really want to say is thank you. Um, um, I now understand with what you're doing and I want to let you know that it's 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 touched more people. It's touched me. It's touched my staff, um, and it's touched our students. So thank you. As the band comes up, I just want to pray for Iz and his staff, and uh, a lot of folks in similar positions around the city. God, we thank you for for people in our community that you have placed in such critical positions that are caring for some of the neediest um, and, and most broken uh, youth that, that we have in our own city. We, they need strength. They need encouragement. And, God, we pray that you would show us how we can be some of that encourager, that we can reflect some of your love and, and love on these folks that are serving so sacrificially in so many ways. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.